Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. He was a gifted young Roman, and he came to the attention of his great-uncle, Julius, while he was ruling, who eventually adopted him as his son, and he subsequently designated him as an official heir in 45 B.C. Now, that was very common amongst the Romans, to adopt someone into your family. It was especially common amongst the ruling class. They would adopt someone into the family so that they could put somebody in the line of succession, especially if they felt that the line was kind of weak with some of their own natural-born children. And so Julius, who is the ruler of Rome at the time, first ruler of Rome, he is now adopting in Octavius in 45 BC. And within a year of that adoption, Julius Caesar is murdered. And Octavian rises to power, and he's joined with two other Roman notable leaders by the name of Mark Antony and a guy by the name of Lepidus. And they set up what became known as the triumvirate rule of Rome, the triumvirate rule of Rome. And essentially what that was is that they shared power. They split the rule of Rome three ways between each of them. Each took a section of the empire and and each of them ruled simultaneously. Now for decades, the entire Mediterranean region of the world was filled with wars and violence. But under the triumvirate rule, These became years of bloody and brutal fighting for power and money in Rome and in the Roman provinces. So things went from bad to even worse. But it wasn't getting worse because of all the wars with all the other nations in large part. It was just because of their own struggles with each other. And eventually Octavian and Anthony grew in power and they pushed Lepidus out of the picture. And even though Octavian's sister married Antony, for 13 years, these two Roman leaders existed as rivals until finally in 31 BC, they faced off for a year. They had huge armies that assembled and positioned themselves. Anthony, with the help of a famous Egyptian ruler by the name of, if you've seen the movies, Cleopatra, Cleopatra. So Anthony, with the help of Cleopatra, they they, they assemble a a 500 warship armada, 100,000 foot soldier army, along with 12,000 cavalry, uh, cavalry, sorry, cavalry, cavalry, which Octavian then answers with 400 warships, 80,000 infantry and 12,000 horsemen. And finally, Octavian, who holds the better strategy and and has a more mobile navy, is able to defeat the combined forces of Antony and Queen Cleopatra of Egypt at a battle known the Battle of Actium. And as a result, Octavian becomes the sole ruler of the Roman Empire. He solidifies all the power to himself, and he takes on the title of Caesar Augustus. Now, I hope you know by now that Caesar is not the family name. Caesar was the name of the ruling family, the ruling class. If you came to power in Rome as the ruler of Rome, you took on the name Caesar, just like the Herods did the same thing. So he takes on the name Caesar Augustus. It is into this world 
this backdrop that Jesus Christ was about to be born. God had literally set the table for his birth as the time which Paul speaks of in Galatians 4.4 had come. I love this verse in Galatians 4.4. Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time, if you like to underline, underline that, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You see, Paul says right here in this verse that, that, that the timing of Jesus' birth, it was not an accident. It was not an accident. It was perfectly planned, it was perfectly timed, and the world was perfectly prepared by God himself for this very moment. The fullness of time had come, and it was God who brought it about. It's exactly what Paul says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I think Paul's using terms associated with birth. I mean, think about this. A woman carrying a baby, she's pregnant. She gets the point, and we say her fullness of time had come. That means it's time for her to give birth to the baby. Well, Mary's fullness of time had come to give birth to Jesus. But the fullness of the world, the time of the world, the time of the setting of the world had come. The the timing of God's prophetic plan for the world had come for this very moment. And in this moment, it was time for Messiah to be born. Yeah, it was a a world that was ruled by by the empire of Rome. and, and, And Israel was a nation under the dominating hand of the puppet family by the name of the Herods. And it was a world filled with moral and social and political intrigue and upheaval and chaos. That was the state of the world. Zguzik points out in his commentary, he says, For decades, the world Augustus lived in and Jesus would be born into, the world of the Mediterranean basin was wrecked by war, destruction, brutality, and immorality. Quoting another commentator, he tells us, The lusty peninsula was worn out with 20 years of civil war. Its farms had been neglected. Its towns had been sacked or besieged. Much of its wealth had been stolen or destroyed. Administration and protection had broken down. Robbers made every street unsafe at night. Highwaymen named the roads, kidnapped travelers, and sold them into slavery. And the people said, let's defund the police and abolish them. No, that's not in there. But you can almost see that. (laughs) trade diminished, investments stood still, interest rates soared, property values fell, morals which had been loosened by riches and luxury had not been improved by destitution and chaos, for few conditions are more demoralizing than poverty that comes after wealth. Rome was full of men who had lost their economic footing and then their moral stability. Soldiers who had tasted adventure and had learned to kill. Citizens who had seen their savings consumed in the taxes and inflation of war and waited vacuously for some returning tide to life, then back to affluence. Women dizzy with freedom, multiplying divorces, abortions, and adulteries. That was the state of the world into which Jesus was being born. Boy, it sounds like our world today. That was the state of the world. And the tension and the divisiveness all of this created in the nation of Israel where God's people dwelled. In that nation alone was seen in the rise of factions like the Zealots who were seeking in every way possible to overthrow these forces that they saw as polluting and ruining their nation that they loved so dearly. And yet it wasn't to be. Yet it wasn't to be. Do you know why? Because God didn't intend for that to happen. 
And what was happening is that they weren't seeing what God was working out through all of these conditions. They were missing it. And it was into this cauldron of social, moral, political upheaval and chaos that Jesus Christ was about to be born. And his birth was not accidental in its timing. Jesus' birth was perfectly timed by God, as were all of the conditions of the world into which he was about to be born. And no matter how crazy or out of control that world might have seemed to the people living in that day, none of it was out of control so far as God was concerned. You see, the people thought it was out of control, but God didn't think it was out of control. God it never left control of any of the events. In fact, all of it were just pieces of the divine puzzle which God allowed to fall into place as a part of his overarching plan of redemption for mankind. And yet many, in fact, I would argue a large majority of God's people, they couldn't see it or understand this reality because their focus was more on the events that were taking place in their world than it was on the Savior who was being born into their world in the midst of it all. And sadly, that skewed view even affected many who followed Jesus later in life. Many had their focus more on the troubling events that were impacting their world and not on what God was doing in the person of Jesus Christ. And they missed what he was all about, which then caused them to place expectations on him to be something that he didn't come to be. For a good many people, Jesus was seen as nothing more than a means to an end. In, in, in a lot of their thinking, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah was supposed to work on their behalf in changing the circumstances of the world in which they lived. They came to see him as their means for overthrowing the Herods and of freeing the nation from the tight-fisted grip of the Roman Empire that had changed their nation into something that was completely foreign to them, something completely perverse and unfamiliar to them. They came to view Jesus as the means through which they could restore the nation to greatness again and to claim the days that they remembered from their history. And whether they realized it or not, Jesus became nothing more than a means to an end in their thinking, a means of getting their crazy, out-of-control world back on track again. That's what he was to them. And all of this wrong thinking was because they had allowed these, the events of their world to cloud their understanding and recognition of God's hand in it all. How he was personally orchestrating it all and using the events of the world to bring about his purposes, not theirs. They had lost sight of the fact that God was in control of the events of their world and that he was using all of it, even the crazy and chaotic stuff, for the working out of his plan for bringing the redemption that the world desperately needed. All of the chaotic events and the tumultuous backdrop, it was simply God setting the stage for Jesus to be born into the world and to begin unfolding that plan of redemption that had nothing to do with making Israel great again, at least not in the same near-term sense as the people were thinking, but to fulfill God's great plan for this fallen world as a whole. Jesus didn't come to change the things of their present world, but he came to create something new, beginning with their hearts, but eventually ending in something far better than just the restoration of their nation. But because their focus was wrong, they missed what, was, what he was doing. And instead of embracing the change he was bringing, they ceased following him in many cases, and many rejected him. 
One of the saddest verses in the Bible, you know it. John 666. They followed him no more. The people followed him. They turned back. So many people turned back. Few followed. Why? Because he didn't meet their expectations. Folks, the chaotic events of that Roman world was not an accident. God had shaped the empires. If you know the book of Daniel, you know that to be true. It's the book of Daniel. He talks about the secession of empires that would come in advance before they came. That was God making a statement to say, I'm bringing these to pass. And he was bringing it to pass to bring about the Roman Empire to set the stage for Jesus' birth. And and this is not an accidental timing of his birth. Jesus being born in that chaotic world was not an accident. It was perfectly planned. It was perfectly prepared. It was perfectly timed. And it was perfectly executed by God himself. Now, what's the point? It's not just a history lesson. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing all this out to you this morning as we begin this account of Jesus' birth because we too are living in a time which is eerily similar in a lot of ways. Eerily similar in a lot of ways. The, the turmoil of our world today, especially in our nation alone, has, has reached decibel levels none of us could have even envisioned just a couple of years ago. I mean, a couple of years ago we would have said it, but I mean, even now we're like, wow, how have we gotten here? The social upheaval, the, the, the moral chaos, the political intrigue, the growing divisiveness in every corner of our society, including Christianity itself. So divided. It's never reached overwhelming levels like this. It seems like our world, and in particular our nation, is not just out of control, but like it's ripping apart at the seams. All that we once knew and all that we cherished, all that we valued, it's, it's not just being challenged, but it, in many ways it's being torn right out of our hands. And yet, just as it was in the world which Jesus was born into, so too it is in our world today. God is in control. God is in control. There is nothing that has not passed before him for his, at least is not a permission. And yet he's using it all, regardless of how bad or evil it might be or seem to be to us. He's using it to shape our world for the fulfillment of his perfect plan of redemption that is still being worked out. In a very real sense, Jesus is still being born into a world filled with change and chaos and upheaval. And what we are experiencing is nothing new. Oh, the names of the empires and the rulers, they've all changed. But it's still the same pattern being repeated, the pattern that that befalls a sinfully fallen world. And it is into this unchanging pattern that Jesus continues to step in, offering not to just restore things in our world, to, to do a reset in our world of some sort, to get us back to where we were, but to make things completely new. But for that to happen, you and I have to quit making the events of this world our focus and instead start making the one who is ultimately using the things of our world to bring about his greater plan our focus. As bad as things might seem to be to us, we need to remember Jesus' words to his disciples. 
when, when they had come to him and they asked him, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming? How will we know when the days are approaching? And, and he begins to talk about all these different events that will unfold, horrific events. He covers it in the various gospels. He talks about it, right? The wars and rumors of wars, the famines, the pestilence, the, the increasing earthquakes, the, the empires rising against kingdoms against kingdoms, literally empires against empires. You know, all of these things, false messiahs. Wow, the world we're living in. But to all of that, in Matthew 24, in Matthew 13, Luke 21, he basically says the same things to them. And I'm going to paraphrase these, but essentially this is what he says. Don't be troubled by it all. Don't be terrified by it all. Don't be surprised by it all. Yeah, don't be consumed by it all. It's implied. Don't be consumed by it all. These things must happen. Whoa. These things must happen. If our focus is on the world and the events of our world, especially on trying to to hold on to our world, like the people in Jesus' day did, or we could go back to Moses and the children of Israel getting out of bondage in Egypt. They're out from underneath the thumb of Egypt and they're out in the desert and they're out out there all that long. And what's the first thing they say? Oh, we want to go back. That's our problem. We're always looking back. We're always looking back and we're cheating ourselves at what God has in the future, where he's leading us, where he's taking us. If our focus is on the world and the events of our world, and if we're trying to hold on to the world that we know, like God's people in Jesus' day, our thinking will become skewed. And, and, and our view of Jesus will especially become skewed as we come to see him as a means for accomplishing our ends instead of simply allowing him to fulfill what he really came to fulfill, what he really came to do. Remember, the world that Jesus was born into was filled with craziness. That's an understatement. Yeah, the Pax Romanus, the the Roman peace was in place, but I'm just telling you, it was not a world at peace. Man, the undercurrents that were underflowing it all, it was just incredibly tense and and ripped apart and divisive and and, and infighting, (laughs) like our world today. He was born into that world that was filled with craziness and when and, and he didn't come and, and, and he didn't fulfill those expectations that the people had of him. When, when, when he didn't do that, a lot ultimately rejected him and they departed from him all because he didn't meet their expectations. But Jesus didn't come to meet their expectations. He didn't come to meet my expectations or your expectations. He didn't come to meet anyone's expectations. He came to bring redemption to the lives of individual men and women living in this fallen world so that he could establish something new and something better, something that would far surpass their expectations in the end. You see, we will always settle for the lesser than to wait for the greater. That's our tendency as human beings. In time, we're little. Not to pick on my daughters, and I won't call them out by name, but I mean, even when my kids were little, and you guys are going to relate to it with your own kids. If you tell your kids, you know what? You can have this toy now that you're longing for. Yeah, this toy right now that you're longing for, the toy that's going to fill your life. It's going to make you complete. Here it is. We can buy this toy now that costs us $10. Or what we can do is if you wait a few years, if you wait a little bit, 
we'll get you even something better. Cost us a whole lot more than that. What do you think they're going to choose? Take that right now. Most cases. We don't have any concept of, of deferred waiting, deferred satisfaction. We don't do that. And that's part of the problem. And so when Jesus came, they wanted satisfaction. Now they wanted the world back to the way it was. They wanted Israel back to what it was. They wanted the Romans gone. They wanted the morality, the immorality fixed. They wanted it all taken care of. They wanted healing in the land so it would be like it always was. And Jesus didn't come to make it the way it always was. He came to bring about a complete replacement in his timing and his way. And we're still waiting for that day, folks. We're still waiting for that day. Look, the state of the world into which Jesus was born was not an accident, nor is the state of our world right now an accident. Not at all. It is all a part of God's timing as he perfectly fulfills his plan for this world. His plan is unfolding even now. We don't understand it all. We don't see it all. But everything, he's going to use it all to work towards the end he has, which is good for us as his people. Not so good for those who are not. But he's made way for people who are not to be his people. He hasn't excluded anyone. He wants those who would receive him to receive him so that they too could enjoy the blessing of the redemptive plan he's bringing about. But he's bringing it about through all of these things. Yeah, it's hard for us to fathom and swallow. But he is. I encourage you to remember this as we study our way through this gospel in this era in which we're now living. I don't even think it's an accident that we're in the book of Luke right now. I think the Lord has brought us here in his perfect timing. Just as I believe very firmly brought us to the book of Revelation in his perfect timing, the second time around that we taught it, I taught it, and, 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 and things were lining up. You guys remember who were here on Resurrection Sunday a year ago, I was teaching the exact same message I taught 12 years earlier. Not the same message, but the same passage in the same place, the very same verses. It was like the Lord was saying, yep, I ordained for that book to be studied again right at this perfect time for my people. Because they need to hear it. And, and I told you guys then that the events of the book of Revelation are all about the redemptive plan of God being finished. And we're working our way towards that day. I don't know when those things will come to pass. I don't know when the rapture of the church will happen. I don't set days and hours. But I know with each and every passing moment and each and every passing day and each and every passing year and with each and every passing event, God is orchestrating it all just as he did in Jesus' day. He's using that in our day to bring about the completion of his plan. We cannot forget this because if we do, we're going to find ourselves getting more focused on the stuff that's happening in our world and missing the call that we have in the time in which we live right now. You and I aren't called to be the zealots of this generation. We can be zealous for good things and righteousness, but we're called to be ambassadors ambassadors of the good news of the gospel to a lost world. That's on its way to hell. And we've been called to be ambassadors. Should we support righteousness? Absolutely. Should we stand for holiness in our land? Absolutely. Should we do these things? Absolutely. But let's not forget that we're just passing through this land. Yes, we're citizens, but we're dual citizens. And our greater citizenship is in heaven. And we've been sent here by heaven itself. You were appointed to live in this time right now by heaven itself. You are not an accident. You were planned to live in this very time, this very divisive time.
this very tumultuous time so that you could be an ambassador of the hope that's found in Jesus Christ while there's still time to receive him. I know you might be looking and saying, well, nobody's going to listen now. They're out of control. Yeah, well, you know what? It was out of control in 68 too. And look at that generation. The Lord turned them on their heads because some faithful people just went down and, and were ambassadors and continue to be ambassadors as people were, were, were receiving and hearing. And, and it was the very most unlikely people who came to Christ. You don't know that God won't use you. But if your focus is this world and hanging on to this world, you'll never know because he'll be unable to use you. God wants to use you and me in this time in which we live for such a time as this. And he's prepared it all. And he's preparing you. Fulfill your calling. And so... A decree goes out from Caesar Augustus requiring all of the people of the land to be registered, to participate in this census, this seemingly bureaucratic action. But none of it is an accident. None of it is just happening. This timing of this event is planned by God. God is moving the pieces of the divine puzzle into place in that day, just as he is moving the pieces of the puzzle into place in our world today. May we remember that. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.